0: Today we'll be moving on to a new section of the Heidelberg Catechism. We'll be discussing the topic of prayer. We just finished with the Ten Commandments and we'll uh, now be moving into the question of prayer. And in connection with that, we'll be reading from Matthew 6. Matthew 6, the verses 5 to 15. This passage is taken from the Sermon on the Mount... When you pray, Jesus says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret, Will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So far, the word of God. Let's now read together the summary of God's word that we find in connection with uh, this question of prayer. You can find that in Lord's Day 45, which you'll find on page 559 of your book of praise. There, the Catechism asks us, why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will grant his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of Him? All things we need for body and soul, as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord Himself taught us. What is the Lord's Prayer? And so follows the Lord's Prayer as we have read it. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how do you teach your children to pray? Last summer, 2016, I had a chance to visit my brother and sister, my, uh, my, my siblings. My parents celebrated their 35th wedding anniversary and I had a chance to get together with them and with my brothers and sisters and their families. And during our time together, I got a chance to see how they interacted with their children. And one of the most special interactions that I was able to see there was seeing how they taught their children to pray. All of you who have kids have been there. You've felt the quiet joy of seeing your child bow their head and call on the name of God Most High to bless their food. And if you've been there, you've also had the frustration of trying to convince your child to do it. Not all children are perfect in prayer right from the beginning. They need to be taught the attitude and the words to say right from the beginning. They need to be taught that it's not just a question of, Lord, bless this food at the right time and not after supper instead of before supper, but they need to be taught that there's more to prayer. And as we ourselves look at the topic of prayer this afternoon, we can see that this same pattern needs to be followed as we ourselves approach the topic of prayer. And so this is our theme. Because of Christ, we may come before the Lord in prayer. And we'll consider first approaching God and secondly, addressing God. Lord's Day 45 grounds us again in where we are in the Heidelberg Catechism. It starts us off with the question of thankfulness. But what is the reason for this thankfulness? Why does God require this thankfulness of him? In the passage that we read, our Lord Jesus Christ has been teaching the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount. Having taught them about ways in which they can love their neighbors, he now is teaching them in how they can interact with God, what they can ask of God. Now, this prayer isn't meant as the only prayer that we can pray, because he says, in this manner, ask, in this manner, pray. He wants to teach the crowds there a structure with which they can pray. And by this structure, Christ teaches us to pray in a way that reflects God's greatness and our need. By this, he teaches us to approach God with a proper posture of thankfulness in our hearts. We address God as our Father, recognizing our personal relationship with Him. And we declare His infinite majesty by adding the words, in heaven. We pray for Him to supply our spiritual needs and our physical needs with the six petitions that follow. And finally, we end with giving Him all the glory. This is what makes up a prayer which shows God the most important part of our thankfulness. Yes, we recognize that He knows all of our needs. That He's able to supply for all of our needs. Christ Himself says, your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. But by this prayer, we declare to God that we recognize that He is the one from whom we get all things. He's the one to whom we owe our thankfulness. You kids can look at it this way. When your parents teach you to say, please pass the mashed potatoes at the supper table instead of just saying, give me the potatoes, or or reaching across the table and, and grabbing them for yourself, what are they doing? They know that you need food. And they're going to give it to you. They'll take care of you. They won't let you starve to death if one, day you can get, if one day you get strep throat and you can't talk for a week simply because you can't say the word please. That's not the point that they're getting across. But they're teaching you to take up a posture of thankfulness. They're teaching you to be thankful for what you get. You don't demand food but you thankfully and expectantly ask for it. And your parents who know your need give it to you because they love you. In the same way, God provides for His children who can expectantly ask Him for these things that we find in the Lord's Prayer. Now, we'll get into it more, what these things are exactly, over the next few weeks. And most of you are pretty familiar with it. But for a moment, I want to get into another question. And that's one of the ones which follows shortly after this. The Catechism speaks about how we need to constantly and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. And Jesus himself says of prayer, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He will give you what you pray for. But this this brings up the question, what happens When you ask of God, and you're asking thankfully, and you're asking expectantly, and there's no answer, what happens when you ask something of God, and there's no reply? How often have you had it, brothers and sisters, that you cry out to God day after day after day, and it seems like nobody heard? How often have you had it that you're on your knees, begging and weeping and crying out to God, just waiting for an answer? And the heavens feel like they're a bronze, impenetrable shell. All you hear is silence. There are many that feel the same way. Day after day, they cry out to God, God isn't like another human being we don't see him nod in response to our prayer we don't see him smile we don't see him give any indication that he has heard us and because of that we can't always understand the lack of things that are going on we ask God what's going on are you hearing me Part of the problem behind our challenging God is the lack, of ex- the lack of patience that we experience today. Everything is instant today. You throw food in the microwave and within a few minutes you pull out popcorn. We need to get in touch with someone and we just pick up the phone on our smartphones. We, we send them a text or we send them an email or maybe we'll talk to them in person and we always get some idea of their response. If we're worried that someone might misunderstand us, we can even send emoticons. And because of this, when we get no response from God, we immediately think that he simply hasn't heard. It seems this way, time and time again with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, too. You hear times when they cry out to God and there are long periods of silence before God replies. You can see this most evidently in the 400 years of silence between the last prophet and the appearance of Jesus Christ. For centuries, they were crying out for deliverance, they were crying out for a Messiah, and yet there was silence. They were conquered by the Greeks, then conquered by the Romans, and there was silence. Many would have thought that God just didn't hear. But imagine for a moment that this was true. Imagine for a moment that God didn't really hear, that God didn't really see what was going on, that God didn't really know what was happening. It's an unthinkable alternative. It's terrifying because that would mean that God wasn't in control. That God really isn't able to face off against evil. But that evil is stronger than God. But God does hear. God does hear. As we read in 1 John 5 verse 14... This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We see it again in the Old Testament, when the people were suffering, crying out to God. Their cry went up to heaven, and it says, God heard. Isn't this incredible, brothers and sisters? Isn't it mind-boggling that this God, who created Heaven and earth listens to our cries and our tears. He hears us. Israel wasn't any better than any other nation. They weren't more powerful or holier or more deserving in any way. And yet God chose to hear them. He heard his people and he delivered them. We look and we can see that happening again and again throughout the Old Testament. And by teaching us this prayer, Christ is teaching us that he hears us today as well. And that should be enough. Just being heard should be enough. If we can pray to God and know that he hears us and does nothing else, that should be enough. This is why Lord's Day 45 starts us off on the foundation of thankfulness. Simply the fact that God is our God, that God hears us when we cry out to him, that he upholds us from moment to moment and gives us the breath of life. That alone should be the reason for an outpouring of thankfulness to him. Consider somebody important in your life. Think about the most important person that you have in your life right now. You phone them up, and then you talk to them. And you're thankful just because they heard you. It's not a question of them immediately coming in to fly in and save the day of them fixing all of your problems, but you're thankful just because they heard you. God, who is so much greater and so much dearer, hears us. By telling us to be thankful, we're again reminded of what a privilege it is to even be able to enter the throne room of heaven and stand before Almighty God and be heard. So let us call on this one true God from the heart. Thank and praise Him for this privilege. Now knowing that God hears, we still sometimes think to ourselves, how could God see what is going on with me and and not act? If God knew, if God cared, then He would take steps to change my situation. When we're asking ourselves this question, it shows our view of ourselves. It shows us how highly we think of ourselves. and shows that we think that we are the good guys, and those people who are doing whatever it is are the bad guys. And because we're the good guys, bad things shouldn't happen to us. But what makes us the good guys? How did we get into this position that we think we're deserving of that kind of a title? There are a few different reasons for this. But one of the main reasons is the way we speak about ourselves. And we think, God, I go to church regularly. I'm not like those other people. I pray eight times a day, before and after every meal, and in the morning and evening. I read my Bible regularly, I attend catechism class, I go to Bible study, I'm a faithful member and a good person. How could this happen to me? The idea behind this thinking is that bad things shouldn't happen to good people and I'm a good person. When bad things happen, think for example, Hurricane Harvey, it should knock down everybody else's house, but leave my house standing. First, let's look at the root of this problem. Let's look at why we suffer in the way we do. Everything that causes sufferings, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, war, pestilence, all of that is because of the fall into sin. All of this is the fault of man. And we ourselves shouldn't separate us from this. We ourselves quite clearly see the sins of those around us, don't we? When we see someone else who doesn't treat their wife, child or employee or parent the way that we think they should, when someone says something hurtful, even though they may not have recognized it, we see. When we see someone's too rigid in their beliefs, too flexible in their beliefs, we see it. But we don't see the same in ourselves. Because we think we don't sin. We just make honest mistakes. If you find yourself in this situation, take a moment. Look back over the last Lord's Days that we covered in the Heidelberg Catechism, the ones that came prior to this. If we look back and think about the way we went through each and every one, the way we plumbed the depths of these Lord's Days, and we didn't even cover a small fraction of what they all deal with. Then we, and recognize how much the heart must interact with that commandment, then we should take a moment to compare our hearts to what the catechism states. Look at the passages in the footnotes. The catechism itself is, after all, just a summary, and compare our lives to that as well. We don't always hate all sin as we should and delight in all righteousness as we should. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're no exception and I'm no exception. The root of our problem then, the root of our problem is sin and not suffering. And so we should be grateful That God doesn't destroy evil on the spot. Because if God did destroy evil on the spot, if he did destroy those oppressors on the spot like we asked them to, we know for certain that we ourselves would be among the first consumed. So what should our response be? We must humble ourselves before God. We don't serve God because he keeps us from suffering. We serve God because he is God. And so our response must be, God, I don't deserve your goodness. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve to have you hear me nor care about my suffering. I deserve the worst of what life throws at me and so much more. Of myself, I deserve to be destroyed. But you didn't destroy me. God knows. We bear up under suffering. In fact, just as the disciples did, we can rejoice under suffering because God knows what is going on with us. He knows what we can bear. He knows when it's more than we can bear. He knows what we need when it's more than we can bear. He hears our cry. We say, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, oh Lord, who could stand? but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We say, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I have hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Yes, he will redeem his people. And he has redeemed us. God hears and God sees. God remembers the covenant that he swore to us, that there would be a redeemer who would deal with this deepest problem of ours, this underlying root of sin. And this Redeemer lives. Jesus Christ has delivered us from sin itself. From the root cause of our suffering. Yes, hurricanes come. People hurt each other. We're overtaken by sickness and disease. All that because of sin. But we have someone who has overcome sin. We ask, what is he doing? Why is life not changing? Without recognizing that he has already done he has already changed. He has dealt with the deepest cause of my misery. He has dealt with the greatest cause of all our suffering at a great cost. And he experienced it all. He has suffered and he has overcome. And because of that, you look at Romans 2 a moment. Uh, Romans 5, pardon me. Romans 5, verse 2. Actually, let's start at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He gives us this through his justification. Let's pray then, remembering. Let us be thankful and satisfied that God hears. Take joy in the fact that God remembers that we're his covenant children through Jesus Christ. He has promised that he will work all things out for our good, for the good of those who love him. So trust in that and pray that God might make us holy even through our present difficulties and struggles. That brings us to our second point. So, what do we ask for? What kind of prayer will God answer? When people consider what to pray about, many of them immediately go to John 14. In John 14, we read the words, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Many people take this to be a carte blanche. They believe that whatever they ask the Father in the name of the Son, they should get. In their eyes, God becomes a kind of vending machine. So long as you say the right words in the right order, and as long as your words are appropriately eloquent, as long as you have the proper level of faith, then whatever you ask should be yours you'll find the same attitude in a lot of popular Christianity today as well, the prosperity gospel. One of the most famous proponents of this kind of idea is the well-known prosperity preacher Joel Osteen. His book, I Declare, lists 31 promises to speak over your life. As long as you have the right level of passion, the right level of belief, self-assurance, these promises will become a reality in your life. That's not Christianity. Saying that you use the right phrases, incantation, that has more to do with witchcraft than anything else. The reason we run into this difficulty is because we take this passage out of context. People read, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, and they stop there. But Jesus never intended us to stop there. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, the point was never for us to ask for a new mansion, never to ask for a Ferrari, a Mercedes Benz. It was never to ask for that promotion or raise, although we can certainly thank God for those gifts if he gives them to us. Jesus, speaking of Jesus is speaking of when he will leave. He's speaking of the mission that the disciples are to carry out after he leaves. The entire point of Jesus' ministry on earth was to bring glory to the Father. That's why he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He later also says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. So today, so also today when we pray, the main point of our prayers isn't that we acquire things. The main point, the main thrust of our prayer is that God should be glorified through us. If we ask the Father to grant us what we need, in order to glorify him in our lives. Because of Christ, he will grant this to us. So we can see that prayer is not a list of demands of God. Many people have misunderstood this point. And you get prominent atheists like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens mocking Christianity. The late Christopher Hitchens, I should say. They mock because in many instances, Christians are no better off in a material situation than many unbelievers around them, despite the fact that they pray. They say, you're a Christian, your God should take care of you. Why do you have people in third world countries that are suffering? Why do you right now suffer? But there's a certain amount of arrogance to that thinking. It's as if God were there to be our vending machine. No, the entire reason for our existence on earth is for God's glory. The Westminster Short Academy says it beautifully. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our greatest joy isn't to acquire material possessions on this earth. It's to glorify God. And whatever we ask for in, with this goal in mind, Whatever we need in order to reach that ultimate and highest goal, he will grant us. Understanding that as our point, suddenly the words of John, 1 John 5, verse 14, become so much clearer. There we read, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if anything is asked according to his will, he'll hear us. This might this might lead to the accusation, well, that's a cop-out, cheap cop-out. It's a way of escaping the fact that there's no God to hear prayer. But we need to make it clear to those who are around to let them understand that sometimes God places us in a particular situation in order to let his glory shine through. God sometimes places us somewhere to let his glory shine through. And we may not understand it right away. We think, how could God glorify himself through this? There was a man I was talking to not too long ago. He was diagnosed with MS. And he was degrading rapidly. And I, this this was a couple summers ago, I visited with him and I talked with him. And he says, This is, this might seem like it's a horrible thing that's happening to me. But I have been closer to God at this point in my life than ever before. He saw God working in him, drawing him closer. The end was in sight for him. He didn't figure he had too much longer to live but he saw God's purpose through it. People who are on the outside don't understand that in all situations God can and does work things together for good, though we may not understand. They do not understand that sometimes the perseverance of a Christian through suffering can be much, a much greater witness to the power of the gospel than removing us from that suffering at that point in time would do. This is why we pray to God for everything we need in body and soul. Not everything we want, but everything we need. And God provides us with that. Maybe not in the time we want, the manner we want, but he provides. Even if it's just strength to get through the next day, strength to get through this present difficulty, he provides. And through it all, the glory goes to him. His will is carried out through us. The fact that God has decreed to carry out his will through our prayers and that he should be glorified through us should astound us, It should make us feel small. That this almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God, the God who flung out the stars to heaven and the God who brings down rain on the fields, who brings down sunshine and lets things grow, lets things dry out to be harvested, who cares about every sparrow, This God has decreed that he'll listen to us, that he'll hear our cry, that he'll remember our need, that he'll provide us with everything we need in body and soul. Amen.